Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome in to Pick and Pod. WFUV Sports is home for all of the NBA talk you need. Now, this is a very big week for Pick and Pod, and that is because the NBA trade deadline was just past us today the day of recording is friday february 10th and the trade deadline was february 9th so really just what a time to be doing a pod about the nba i've got my co-host jack warner alongside with me jack how you doing i mean i'm excited because this is one this is one hell of a time to do a debut when it's the the trade deadline obviously i've produced this show before but I haven't been able to get in front of a mic, so trade deadline, there's never a shortage of, of things to talk about, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Arguably, on paper, the best episode of the year every year is the trade deadline. It's a big deal. Supposed to be joined by Nick Fan, who probably would have had some takes on their deal, Nick Fada, but uh, he had a little treadmill incident, so wasn't able to make it today. Yikes. Jack and I hope he's doing better and are, are going to take this one ourselves, so... Let's get started. The National Basketball Association is NBAing all over the place. <laughs> um, I just cannot believe the moves that went down. We got to start with the Brooklyn Nets, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let's talk about them individually, right? Okay. And for each move, we'll talk about you know the key player mm-hmm. that that moved, the return, and the grade for each side, and you know. For trades that are less exciting, you don't have to go super in depth, but let's just give give a take on what you think for each side. So Works for me. Let's start out with Mr. Kyrie Irving Ooh. heading from the Brooklyn Nets to the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks let Jalen Brunson go. We're clearly this year in need of another ball handler, preferably one that plays the point guard or shooting guard position that could help out Luka. And they got him help. They got him Kyrie Irving, one of the best guards in the NBA, one of the best scorers in the league one of the best handles of all time just a fantastic talent who has come with more than his fair share way more than his fair share of off-court drama this season but he seems devoted to making things work in Dallas I think he knows what his standing is around the league right now and that he kind of has to make this work or else no one will give him a max deal so I think this is a good deal for the Mavericks the return what they gave up Spencer Dinwiddie Dorian Finney-Smith a future first round pick, a couple second round picks. Um, if you're Dallas, it's tough to give up your best defender in Dodo and DFS, but Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, being a big upgrade to Kyrie Irving now, who you have, that that that's why you made that deal. And so you hope to maybe use the buyout market to find some defensive help. Uh, getting another star in the building was the deal. What do you think of this move for both sides, Jack? So I think with the Mavs, um, you know, it was it was funny how you mentioned Kyrie obviously always having some sort of wild headlines around him because he really is somebody that really can never stay out of the limelight. But I do think it's a testament to just the kind of player and the kind of asset he is that I won't I wouldn't disagree with any team, you know, putting it all on the line to get to get Kyrie on their roster. As far as what they gave up, I do think they gave up a pretty strong defender in, in DFS, um, which I think is one of the high points for Brooklyn side of the trade because it's kind of addressing the elephant of the room. Every one of the major names, major stars that was once on this Brooklyn roster is practically gone um, now that we've reached the conclusion of the of the trade deadline. But, you know, I think with the Mavs, what they gave up in the long run was worth it. I think the only thing, again, I think the only real loss is just um, defensively. But then with Brooklyn, again, you can't talk too positively of losing Kyrie Irving. I mean, he was really, in my opinion, I actually, I, I refer to him multiple times as the life support for the Brooklyn Nets whenever Kevin Durant was not healthy. 
Um, I felt like he was the only thing that was really like the spark that kept that team moving. But, you know, they now have four tradable first-round picks. So even – I know this is looking way down the line, but the Nets could, in theory, now having that extra pick in their arsenal – because they already gave up a bunch when they got Harden initially, but if they wanted another scoring guard, they could go try to scout out the Bulls, maybe DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, anything like that. Um, if they preferred to, uh, you know, focus on defense, you know, Ananobi seems quite available at the moment. Yeah, they that would be a big investment, but that would be like the final piece for them. But that's know, so. my but. As much of an investment as it is, like I said, they lined their pockets a little bit with gaining another first-round pick that I think will become very, very valuable. And the other thing that'll definitely make the pick valuable is if, you know, the unprotected, you know, 2029 first-round pick they landed was was especially valuable because Luka Doncic has a, has a contract expiring in 2027. So if you look at it from that perspective, you know, they're essentially betting that Kyrie you know, will do to the Mavericks what, what he once was doing with the Nets. If Doncic leaves Dallas before twenty seven or, or before twenty nine, that, that that first round pick could be one of the most valuable outstanding picks in, in the league. What when you think about the amount of draft capital that changed hands at this deadline, um it's certainly astounding. Uh, and you know, that's kinda leads perfectly into the next deal that was made. The Nets didn't just get one first-round pick for Kyrie Irving. They also got four and a swap for Kevin Durant. And so exactly, you take a look at Brooklyn. Uh, they got a lot of talent. They kind of have like the perfect nerd team, a bunch of six, seven, three <laughs> and D wings. Mm-hmm. None of them can create their own shot except for Macau Bridges, but they all play defense. They're all good off the ball. It's like the perfect Twitter nerd team. Like that's Twitter. If someone if t- someone on Twitter could have assembled an NBA team, they'd be like, "Yeah, give me Dinwiddie. He's underrated. Yeah. Give me McCall and give me DFS. They're both underrated. And Claxton's underrated. And Cam Thomas is underrated. So I'll take him. It's like all these guys that like could shine on their own. Yeah. Or like you gotta give it, it, together. I'm it's, surprised you didn't mention a Caruso. It, it's a little. It's, it's paper mache. No. It, yeah. It's, it's I I think that um, when you take a look at just what they have now in Brooklyn, um, they don't they're not good. They're going to fall in the standings, um, but they're fun. I think their team is fun, and they've got a lot of assets going forward. Now you look at Dallas. I think this is a good trade for them. I just need the on court fit to work, and, and the reason I say that, um, Luka Doncic. We do not know if he works as an off-the-ball kind of player. Now, we know Kyrie works like that because he played with KD, and they were really good, but they didn't win in the playoffs. So will Kyrie and Luka be enough? Obviously, it sounds like a silly question. Oh, will two top 20, top 15 guys be enough to have a good off? Yeah. Well, fit matters, right? And if Luka's really good with the ball in his hands and Kyrie's really good with the ball in his hands, I think you really are going to have to stagger them if you're Coach Jason Kidd. Let them each lead a unit. You know, give them each two other starters and then or one, you know, one to two other starters and then a couple bench guys and let them each kind of have their own five because they can't, they got to go back and forth. If they're both just out there the whole game, if they don't play any minutes without each other, I can see it getting a little messy. That's what was really cool in Brooklyn was they staggered the guys. Yes, Kyrie and KD played a lot together, but once they got hard and once they had, you know, more talent than they already had, um, which still wasn't enough to win, but. That's besides the point here. It was cool that they were able to stagger it. So you look at Dallas, they get much better, and that's just need to see if that's better or much, much better because the defense is a big thing. I'm going to need to kind of see that pairing play out before I can really have any real opinion on it because it's funny. That's probably the most positive thing. I completely agree with you in terms of how they staggered the rotation with, with the Nets. But that's just about the most positive thing that I've heard pretty much anyone say about the, you know that um, that arsenal of talented players that they had on the Nets. Because my one reason why I'm waiting to to kind of let Luca and Kyrie unfold before I even have any predictions or any takes on it is just because look at the letdown that we just witnessed in Brooklyn. I mean that showed you the difference between NBA fans and basketball fans. 
because Brooklyn was just too on paper of a champion. Well, like that's, it wasn't on the court. Well, that's it was my, on paper. Exactly. And the NBA fans obviously wanted to see the super team and wanted to see some of the heaviest hitters in the world all on the same court together. But then the true basketball fans knew that this was not a good pairing. They knew that this was not a good team. They knew that after seeing seeing the first playoff implosion and then everything following that, that's to me that's what finally kind of was like the crack in the armor in, in super teams. Because as far as we knew, once, you know, they assembled that entire... And back when it was Harden and Durant and Kyrie, everyone thought it was raps. A lot yeah. of people thought it was raps. And, and a lot of real a lot of real analysts thought they'd be really good. And it was just like they don't have point of attack defense or rebounding or interior defense or bench depth. This year, they added like half of those things to their squad and they were rolling. And then Kyrie wants out. So, you know, you're talking, you invest in people. These aren't just players. You can't just play 2K. These are people, too. And you have to realize who you're investing in. If you put all your eggs in a risky basket, you can't be super upset when you lose them all. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, yes, there's a big payoff, you know, if you put your eggs in that basket. But if they all crack, you can't be mad. That's what you chose to do. But, Um, But the other thing is, like, I, for one, didn't necessarily see the Nets, like that particular Nets rotation, having too much trajectory. This year was good. They had O'Neal, Sumner, Watanabe, and TJ Warren filling in a lot of those bench minutes and giving them good minutes that they didn't have before. Well, exactly, and that's why it's kind of a shame to see it now. It was finally working. That's what I mean, is once it started working was when everybody had had enough. and it was. I was actually starting to warm up to this Nets team and think that they were actually pretty good. I thought, okay, this is the Eastern Conference Finals or a second round team. This is not a first round exit like I thought they were. You know, Every year I think they're a first round exit. This year I thought they were better and now they're nothing. I was B-hosting one-on-one and we were talking about it because KD had just uh, KD had just gotten his most recent injury and the we, it was like a day or two after Boston came to Brooklyn, and it was a it was a back and forth game. Jalen Brown was out, and Celtics ended up coming out with a win. And I said to, I said on that episode that weekend, that fully healthy Nets roster goes toe to toe. I said the only the only thing that kept the Nets out of that game particularly was either not having Kevin Durant in the starting lineup or the fact that Ben Simmons scored literally zero points. So. Um, this team was really starting to come around and was really starting to get exciting. And that's why I find it just frustrating that, that, and I'm not even, I don't root for the team, but it's just as an objective, as as an objective basketball fan, it's just, I, it's tough to see. I felt like they just got the wheels moving. It's tough to see potential not get realized. Now talking about super teams, it seems like a new one has been formed at least from the public perception. It's a super team. You got two top 10 players, arguably in Durant and Booker, the return for Durant, Macau Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four first-round picks, a first-round pick swap. And then the Nets took Jay Crowder, and they got five second-round picks for him from the Milwaukee Bucks. So they they really, from the Suns, the Nets for Kevin Durant got Macau Bridges and Cam Johnson. They got four first-round picks. They got a first-round pick swap option, and they got five second-round picks. That's the best you were going to get for KD, realistically. It's Absolutely. the best you were going to get. It's a lot to give up, and, and the reason I say that is because it didn't really feel as if everything was um, honky-dory over in Phoenix. You know, oh, everything's great, and we're, we all love each other. No, we didn't get that vibe this year. No. Aiton wanted out. The Pacers maxed him. The Suns matched so they wouldn't get screwed. Paul, Booker, Aiton, that core, had problems last year. They got beat out of the playoffs after being up on Luka, he just dogged them and, and, and knocked them out. And so does Kevin Durant fix all these issues? Now, on the court, I say yes. He addresses every issue the Suns had. They really only had Booker for buckets if McCall wasn't on that night. You know, Johnson a good floor spacer, but now they have Kevin Durant. They just acquired a top-five player in the NBA. There's no way to undersell this. Durant's going to be wearing purple and orange and black from now on, and that is crazy to think about on its own. But you look at this team. They've got a distributor. 
And I think just because Paul's pay is so big, he gets a little too much flack for being overrated. He's just who he is at this point. He's a small guard. He can facilitate. He can get a clutch bucket. And he's not the best on defense anymore. Um, That guy can definitely set the table for Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. So I see this working. The Suns just need to have good depth, trust their depth. They got Jock Landale out there going to be playing more minutes, like you know, Australian player. You know, they really got to develop their guys, trust them. But I do see this going well for Phoenix. I, I think they really just tooled up. This is the biggest acquisition of the last year, and it's because Kevin Durant was available. That's nuts. Phoenix well, lands their guy. And matching DeAndre Ayton is, is is humongous because, you know, there was, like you said, the Pacers offered him. They wanted to trade Ayton for Simonis before Simonis went to Sacramento. You know, like they were they wanted to move on from that court. Yeah, but n- not only that, he could have got he could have got sent to Brooklyn. They could have flipped him to a third team for, for more assets that could have been sent to the Nets. Like anything could have happened. But I think a, a playmaker like him, keeping him in your in your arsenal, along with well, keeping him around while bringing in KD is huge. Yeah, and and when you take a look at what they gave up, they gave up a three and D wing, yes. But Johnson Crowder Crowder didn't play all year. Well, exactly. You know, like I'm fine with Phoenix giving up this package. Someone had to do it. They did it. They have Devin Booker. If this doesn't pay off, it's gonna sting for a lot of years. But they'll probably be able to recoup the picks they gave up for KD. For Booker. So, you know, this kind of can heal itself. I think this can work out. What do you think about this from Brooklyn's perspective? Tearing it down completely, getting this return for KD. They gave all their picks to Houston. They recuperated them from Phoenix. Um, that's what you do. You know, you, you got to get the picks that you gave up from another team if you're going to trade these stars. Uh, and you keep, that's how you keep the cycle going. What, what, how do you see Brooklyn doing, you know, with, with the, a top five player in the league gone? I was slightly more critical of their handling of this trade than the Kyrie run, Kyrie trade, excuse me. And the main reason, I really just have one question in terms of Brooklyn's handling of this trade, and it's why right now? I mean, surely Ky- Kyrie, they wouldn't extend Kyrie. Kyrie wanted out, so they dealt him, and then Ky- they dealt Kyrie for a win now package. They got back Dinwiddie, DFS. And the pick to use as a, you know, with the, their other picks, maybe take Simmons and the picks and go get someone else. And KD was like, no, like you dealt Kyrie. This is not good enough. You're not going to convince me to stay. Take your pick. Go get picks for me and move on. Well, this, this is over. Well, it was just, here's here's the only reason. You know, there had already been offers made to KD. Surely there would have been a similar one made later on this year towards the summer. I just feel like rushing this before the trade line, trade deadline, not waiting until summer. You know, they didn't really give other teams a chance to kind of get their weapons out, get their ducks in a row, have like a real like proper bidding war for them. I just feel like they sold themselves short in terms of what they could have gotten in return. Durant still had three years left on his contract. He has no, he has no real. They got four unprotected firsts. Four. I understand that's that. a lot. I, no, it's Mitchell a went for I three. understand it's a lot, but like you said, he's a top five talent in the league. You Donovan, don't know. Donovan I just Mitchell feel like you don't. I just feel an like all star starter and three unprotected picks. I understand, but I just feel like you don't know what you could have gotten for him without more time for other teams. They shopped to, him in the summer a ton. And Phoenix was I know, and that's one, what I, that's my point is they they Phoenix was he was the offered they they, they shopped with. him in the summer. That's how that's, they clearly that's they're shopping started. him now. They clearly if if it didn't happen right now, they definitely would have tried to shop him next summer. I just I feel like in a way it was almost and look, if a player is miserable, you're not going to want to keep him around. I I fully once Kyrie's departure was you know, kind of set in stone, I was like, yeah, Durant's next. Like there's no obviously that's what's going to happen. It's inevitable. But I just feel like it just there's not a lot of positivity in terms of, I felt like there there could have been more. I don't even know what the right word for it is. I feel like there could have been more preparation. There could have been well, more the, calculation. The, yeah, there could have been so more study on Brooklyn's part in terms of all right. We know we're going to lose these two stars. Why don't we at least do it as effectively as possible? And I don't. In my opinion, I understand that four unprotected picks is huge, but I just don't know if I don't. I don't think it's been proven Bridges, to me yet that they did. And Johnson, true, and Crowder, and Crowder turned into five seconds. I, this is the best return they were going to get for Durant. They've been shopping him since the summer. 
A lot of the times deals start in the summer, happen at the deadline, or they start at the deadline, happen the next summer. So that's why I think OG Ananobi will be dealt quickly this offseason because mm-hmm. he wasn't dealt at this deadline. Um, I think where the miscommunication happened for Brooklyn was with Irving and not Durant. I think the Durant offer was absolutely the best they were going to get. But taking a win-now type offer for Irving just to also move Durant felt like they were confused about what they were doing. It felt like they were trying to be to say to KD, hey, go play with these guys. You can still go win. And he was like, I don't want to play here at all. Well, so no. and when you're that, talking, that's the miscommunication. And, and that's where I think Brooklyn could have been a lot better in regards to um, just how they planned out their future, their next couple of years, what hmm. that's going to look like for them. But, uh, you know, Irving could have gone to a team that would have given more of a rebuilding package than a contending package. The problem is there are no teams that are rebuilding that are interested in Irving. Contenders are interested in Irving. Contenders are contenders because they have good players. Mm-hmm. They That's what they have to give up. So the Nets kind of had to take a win-now package for Irving. They got that future draft pick, and then they get the, the real rebuilding package for Durant. That's where the miscommunication was to me, but I also think they pretty much did get the best they were going to get for both players since they were trading them at this juncture. If you think they should have traded them both in the last offseason, I can totally understand that, but when you have two top 15 guys, the the, the inclination is going to be to make it work um, before anything else. No, I agree, but, you know, I will be extremely curious to see the kind of moves that are made with this abundance of picks that they've acquired from these two trades. I think they're going to sit on them for a little. I think they're going to wait. I think they're going to acquire some young talent, you know, maybe go after Carl Anthony Towns if he's available, whatever it is that they can do. I think they're going to wait a little bit and then... See what they can make happen. Um, that at some point they're gonna try to use them on a star, right? But there's also gonna come a point where they're gonna need just good players too, and they have a bunch of those right now. The issue with that is they can't all share the court. A lot of them play the same position. Some of them are gonna get moved. Teams were calling about Macal Bridges. Some team offered four first round picks for him. You know, so yes. Brooklyn held on to these guys, but I do think they're going to move a lot of them soon. Um, Speaking of trading these first-round picks for good players, the Knicks acquired someone who will probably be playing 25-plus minutes a night for them as part of their rotation, Josh Hart. This was one of my favorite. This was one of my favorite moves of the entire— Starter for the Portland Trailblazers in every game this season, averaging a career-high 8-plus rebounds per game. I think it's 8.2 is that number. Cam Reddish and a first-round pick go to Portland in exchange— for Josh Hart, I do think this will knock Deuce McBride out of the next rotation, at least for the rest of this season, probably moving forward after that. as He'll likely be dealt this summer. Um, once Mitchell Robinson is back and healthy, you're probably looking at Brunson, Grimes, Barrett, Randall, Robinson. Off the bench, you've got Quickly, Hart, Toppin, and Hartenstein. And those four will rotate in be the bench unit, play with one of the starters at a time. You know, Brunson and Hart are going to want to share the court. Villanova teammates reuniting in the Mecca. So uh, as you look at New York's rotation now and what they gave up, what do you make of this trade? Uh, And what do you think about the Trailblazers? You know, they're trying to win games, and they go out and take a first-round pick for a starter, kind of sell off a piece. What do you think about this one for both sides? I mean, I'm I'm still kind of questioning it from, from Portland's side because your point exactly. I mean, yes, it was a first-round pick that they received, but it, I, I thought Josh Hart was fantastic for them this year. Um, on the Knicks half, like I just said to you before we start talking about it, this is one of my favorite moves of the entire, you know, trade deadline time frame. Um, you know, Leon Rose was kind of – he had a goal, I believe, and that was to improve the Knicks' depth without trying to dive too, too deep into, you know, his kind of treasure trove yeah, of assets. The, the, not the, no one from the rotation got traded. Exactly. No future and I picks think, got traded. And he did just that. Um, you know, Cam Reddish wasn't really playing anyway. And like you were mentioning earlier, eight-plus rebounds a game – He's averaged more than seven, you know, seven plus rebounds over the past six years between Nola and Portland. He's got a twenty-eight point three defensive rebounding rate. That's fourth best amongst all guards in the NBA who've played over ten games. And then the other thing that is really exciting me is seeing how he'll work 
in the second unit with Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. Because the other thing is, he's averaging he averaged around four assists a game while in Portland, which he knows how to move the ball. He knows how to create opportunities and transition. And I feel like that's something that may not entirely complete the Knicks offense, but I definitely think can serve as an asset to the Knicks offense. Yeah, he'll play with the starters. The Knicks needed rebounding off the bench. Isaiah Hartenstein, not necessarily an asset in that regard. He's good at a lot of other things, but not rebounding. So Hart, a great rebounder, only 6'5", 6'6", and he's getting eight boards a game this year. Throughout his career, he's typically been good for about seven in a game. He had a career-high 19 rebounds at Madison Square Garden this season. So kind of fitting the Knicks trade for him now to help their, their rebounding efforts. Um, quick discussion about this trade, but I think it's a simple trade. I think we can move on. You know, you, you take a look at the the Blazers. Um, if you can get a first-round pick in this 2023 draft for someone like Josh Hart, you should probably do it. I think the Knicks overpaid, considering that Hart is expiring after this season. I do think that Hart loves Coach Thibodeau. I know that, rather. I also know that Hart loves Jalen Brunson. I also know that Hart's former agent was Leon Rose. And so you take, yep, a look, it's, it, you take a look at the dots, and you, you take that pen, you click it, and, and you just start to connect those dots a little bit, and, and it's just you see the R, you see the E, S, you see re-sign, extension, <laughs> you know? Like, it's just written on the wall, right? It, everything makes sense where why would the Knicks front office, who is obsessed meticulously with value and finding value, trade more assets than they have to? It's because... Trading their first-round pick this year when they have two, maybe three, in this year's draft, they know that not all those players are going to make Tom Thibodeau's rotation. They're planning to grab a wing. Go ahead. Do it. But take that other pick and grab someone who you think can be here and contribute for a long time. I can see, once there are stars at Madison Square Garden, Josh Hart slotting in as Quentin Grimes' backup, playing a good 24 to 28 minutes off the bench, hitting threes, making the MSG crowd go wild, locking up the best player on the other side. It's just there's things he does that Quentin Grimes is really good at that the Knicks and any team could benefit from having in both their starting and bench units, and it's just a great pickup for them on the court. They absolutely overpaid value-wise. Once he is extended with the Knicks, he might be an MLE guy. Get mm-hmm. 11 mil a year for three years, lock him up, 333, that's it. He's getting his money. He got his money on the last deal, and, and he's in New York. He's home with Brunson. He's good to go. Uh, that's worth it then once you extend him. So I think they will, and I think it will be worth it for them. Let's get on to the next deal. We had an absolute bonanza of trades, and this one was a little bit crazy, a three-team deal. The Los Angeles Lakers shaking up their rotation big time, sending Russell Westbrook, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Damian Jones, and a first-round pick to the Utah Jazz. Now, the Utah Jazz took those things and they accepted them. In return, they gave out Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander-Walker as well as Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt. So, pretty big trade for them here. Uh, But I think worth it for the Timberwolves. Um, Conley is better than Russell today for what they need. He can help Edwards get set up. He can feed Gobert down low. He'll be a good leader for Towns once Towns is back from injury. And the Timberwolves got those things, and they sent out D'Angelo Russell uh, to the Lakers. Now, this deal is fun. Russell Westbrook finds a new home. He'll be bought out, supposedly heading to the Chicago Bulls. So that will be a lot of bricks being laid out there. Uh, the Spoles not doing well this season, adding Westbrook, probably not the best move for their trajectory. Uh, but Lonzo Ball out for the year. They need a floor general. So, they do. Uh, when you sign someone as injury prone as Ball, he had played about 56% of his career games before signing in Chicago for that $80 million deal. It's tough to be surprised. Again, Nets went in on Irving and Durant. They can't be surprised when things go sour. Bulls invest in, in Ball. They can't be surprised when he's injured. These are known quantities. And so with Lonzo Hurt, Bulls are going to look at Westbrook. The Lakers add a top shooter in the league in Malik Beasley, probably too streaky to be considered like a top five shooter, but he's up there, right? Jared Vanderbilt, defensively versatile, and D'Angelo Russell. That's a guard that is better than Russell Westbrook today. Um, that's an upgrade for them. And they don't need a real floor general because they have LeBron James. What they need is a scoring option. D'Lo certainly can do that. He's been stellar this year in clutch situations. Jack, 
What's your take? So I do think that like the the sole I won't say the sole victory, but the main front and center victory for the Timberwolves is obviously I do think that um, Mike Conley is a step up from D'Angelo Russell. I think that that was an improvement, but I think through and through the Lakers won this trade because and and what I think was most impressive on the um, on the Lakers part was similar to what I was mentioning when we were talking about the Knicks. I don't think the Lakers gave up that much and improved they did their roster. One, one first round pick. Yes. So think about this. They improved their roster. They gave up one first round pick. And the other thing that I think is arguably the most important part of this, they got Russell Westbrook off their hands. Russell Westbrook is a great basketball player, but he's not he just didn't fit in Los Angeles. So cleaning out a guy that doesn't fit your rotation good enough at the expense of only one first round pick I mean, I can't see much to complain about there. The other thing is, I think the front court gets a boost from from Vanderbilt and Bamba. I think Beasley adds a much needed, you know, he adds athleticism, he adds shooting. I know he's not a perfect shooter, but he he I think he enhances the position. Um, I I think. I think that this makes the Lakers were never a team that I even really took seriously. I know they would have little spurts of, you know, they'd have some hot streaks, but I don't care if they have LeBron. I don't care if they have AD. I don't care who it is. They were really never a team that I could take seriously this year because I always felt that there was just some sort of piece missing. And I think they, one, I think going forward, they're a team that I'm, I'm definitely taking a lot more seriously. They're still not a top team in the Western Conference, and they still have they still have unfinished business. They're they're two and a half games behind the Trailblazers for the tenth seed. So, you know, there's still work to be done. But I think the Lakers took a humongous step in the right direction with this trade. I think I think they won. You know, I don't think this makes them a contender. I think that's okay. Their goal is just to win as many games as possible. They're trying to give LeBron the best shot he can get to go out on top and and you look at what this trade did for them they also sent thomas bryant to denver for Mm -hmm. three second round picks so they have some more assets maybe in the offseason whatever just the the lakers got better at this deadline and that's really all they needed to do i don't like better in a way where like if they gave up the two first round picks that they have for this deal I would be like, geez, like that's really what you mortgage the future on? Like, mm-hmm. geez, guys, like that's the best. You- All right, well, you know what? They're better. They're a better team. I guess those are the three guys they got. They used one first round pick. Exactly. So they have one left. This offseason, they have the first rounder and a lot of second rounders. They can maneuver. They can, you know, if Braun wants to move on, they can keep AD, make some moves. What The other way around. Whatever it is, they're flexible. Um, I like this move for Los Angeles. I, I also like this move for Minnesota. I'm not a huge fan of this for Utah. No, me they neither. They just want the draft picks. No, um, I, I agree. But the other thing I like about this move for Los Angeles, like you said, I don't think I don't think this makes them a contender. It just makes them better. I completely agree with you. But I I even like that just because, you know, Los Angeles is a is a a Yankees or a Dodgers style, you know, in baseball terms, is a is a is a old fashioned just historic successful franchise and i'm i'm tired of seeing them not i'm tired of not taking them seriously like i'm tired of not seeing them be the los angeles lakers that we've always known them as so i think just seeing them as a more just as a they don't even have to be a contender but just as a team we can take more seriously yeah, now no they're like the kings i think they're like the kings exactly now. that's what i mean no one has the kings winning the chip no one should have the lakers winning the chip no one wants to see these guys in the first round no but here's the other thing while i don't think this makes the lakers a contender what i do think this can allow the lakers to do is shake up the the standings in in the western conference yeah they can stay up there and um, even if it's not, even if it's not lifting themselves up into a better playoff position, but ruining other other teams' positions in the Western Conference, they can make noise this year. That's that. Let's talk about their neighbor, the Los Angeles Clippers, another team that can make some noise. Now they made three acquisitions. Let's talk about them as one. Okay, they got Bones Highland. They gave out two second round picks. They got Eric Gordon. They gave out a first round pick swap. They got Mason Plumley. All they gave up was Reggie Jackson and a second round pick. 
So the Clippers, they needed a center that wasn't just Ivica Zubac, right? They can't have more 30, 25 games from Zubac all the time. They needed center depth. They turned Reggie Jackson into Mason Plumley. Big upgrade. He can be a big part of the rotation now. He can pass. He can defend. He's been doing amazing for the Hornets this year, right? They also have a lot of wings, but not all of them are great. Marcus Morris, shooting well from three this year, he can stay in the rotation. Robert Covington, not shooting well from three, not able to move on defense like he used to. Eh, let's get him out. Who do they get? Eric Gordon, serviceable 3 and D wing, can create a little off the dribble, not too much, don't want to rely on it. Kind of reminds me of like a Desmond Bain type of player, Eric Gordon. He's still good nowadays. That's a big upgrade for the Clippers. And the Clippers traded Reggie Jackson for Plumlee, so they need a point guard, right? Well, they take two second-round picks. They buy low on Bones Highland from the Nuggets. He had some locker room issues there with Jamal Murray and, and whatever else was going on. So now he's a Clipper. They have their point guard. I don't think he's a great point guard. I think he's a serviceable starting point guard. That's better than Reggie Jackson because if he was also a serviceable starting point guard, Bones can shoot pull-up threes. Reggie can't. If Paul George and Kawhi are going to have the ball a lot, you need that three-point shooting spacing. So Bones, better for them than Reggie Jackson. Gordon, better for them than Covington. Plumlee, really good add. I'm scared of this Clippers team. I had a Bucks clippers finals this year. This deadline shook up a lot. I am going to stick with that prediction. I'm going to say the Clippers make it, and I'm going to say the Bucks make it. I think the Bucks adding Crowder at the deadline for five seconds, they got better enough to hang with the top of the East, right? The Sixers added Jalen McDaniels for a couple seconds. Um, and the other team at the top of the East that got better, there's not the Bucks, there's the Sixers, and there's the Celtics who added Mike Muscala. So all these teams added a key rotation guy. Muscala going to help Boston off the bench. Uh, McDaniels going to help Philly off the bench. And now, they, um, you know, this, uh, you just, I think the, the, the deal, the, it feels like everyone is just getting a little better, just trying to keep up. It feels like the water level's rising and people are just trying to keep up. Um, I think Milwaukee getting Jay Crowder is the same thing, just trying to keep up with the water yeah. level. To me, these Clippers moves, this is way more than that. This is way more than that. This is a huge set of pickups for the Clippers. I've still got them coming out. And you look at the Bucks getting Jay Crowder. I already had them as the best. I think they kept up with the water level. They're mm. still my best team. What do you think about this move for the Clippers? Are they the team to beat in the West, or, or is that Phoenix? So I think I think in simplest terms, like right now just speaking blindly, I think Phoenix is still the team to beat. But I think this specific trade opened up the door to the Clippers giving them hell. What I find so fascinating about this this move from the Clippers is it's a very um, it's a trade with a lot of substance, but you really kind of have to read into it because they didn't take any like you know a lot of times you know the, the the trades that make all the big headlines are obviously you know the Kyrie Irvings of the world, the Kevin Durant's of the world, the superstars that are involved in trades. But when you really look and kind of you know peel some of the layers off of this and really look into what the Clippers received in this deal. I mean, you know, with with Powell, you know, they received one of the best three-point shooters in the league. He's averaging, you know, just over 18 points a game. He's knocking, you know, he's around 40% from three points. So he's having a good season. They add a shooter to their arsenal. Covington is a 3 and D guy. He can defend multiple positions. He can play, he can even play small ball center if he needs to. They, they brought in versatile talent that, yes, is not names that you would hear and in just the, in the all-star discussion. Yeah, and immediately <laughs> and immediately your ears perk up. You're like, they got who? But at the same time, they got difference makers. And to me, I think each that one th of these guys is like, oh, they got him. Cool. You yeah. Know, and then cool. and then go right back to doing whatever the heck they yeah, were doing. Yeah, but it was still it's still a positive ad. Exactly. And that's three positive ads. Mm -hmm. And and then the other thing you gotta remember is is I think Plumley is a is a big pickup for them too. Getting a um You can pass. Well, not only can he pass, but he's just a serviceable big man. I mean, he's a especially you know. I think he'll work great as a backup too. Like the, the Clippers need a playoff center. I think between Zubac and Plumlee, they have that now. I think center by committee is always tough for the mm -hmm. playoffs. You kind of want to have a guy, a Mitch Robinson, a Rob Williams, a Clint Capella, whoever it is, whether he's good or bad, that's your guy, right? They're going to have two options, and that's going to make them more matchup versatile. Obviously, it doesn't mean they have a stud center, but they've got two good players. I think Plumlee, probably the better of the two in a one-on-one, -on -one, but Zubach might be the 
best at all the other little nitty gritty things. Well, so and Zubac, I think it adds up well. And Zubac has played consistently well. But again, what if he gets into foul trouble? What if he needs a what, you know? What if he's gassed? What if he needs a break? I think he, I think adding Plumley just gives you a very very reliable. I would say reliable, serviceable, talented guy that. Now you got two two men at the big man position that I think are both players that you can confidently put a, a decent amount of trust into. I, I just like this team in the playoffs. They've got several guys that I trust with the ball in their hands. That's that. Kawhi, Paul George, they got their stars, but you take a look at the way they're built now, and they have the depth on top, Jack. It's just this LAC team is built for business. I think the Suns are now built for business. The Bucks, Sixers, the, these teams are great. And you take a look at how they got better. And it all, to me, it, they, they, they didn't just, I think the Mavericks are the one team where they got better, not like they just got better, but talent-wise. All these other additions, the Clippers, the Bucks, the Sixers, these were really fit-based acquisitions to me. It didn't feel like they just added talent. It felt like they added talent that they needed, that they really could use. Um, along that, you know, kind of strain, uh, let's talk about quickly. We'll, we'll do this one quick because we got a three-teamer to get into. Out of these three moves, Muscala to the Celtics, Jalen McDaniels, 3 and D wing, can, can dribble a little, switchable defensively. He goes to the Sixers. Jay Crowder to the Bucks. Does any of those moves stand out to you? It was like, okay, I like this team the most to come out of the East now. Ah. <sighs> I feel like the East is such a toss up that like I'm not I'm not even sure. The Celtics were already rolling. And now the they... Celtics were already rolling. It's just the the Celtics the Celtics has nothing to do with any of the you know, we're having a trade deadline episode, but like the Celtics the thing that makes me nervous about the Celtics isn't even just anything that had to do with the trade deadline. It's just they can't stay healthy. They're a bunch of they're a bunch of a bunch of them got chandeliers for bodies. I mean it's it's one you know it's either Rob Williams is out for this game, Jalen Brown's out for this game. And I think if we're talking everyone from full health, a full roster, I still think Celtics run the East. I think I think the I think the Eastern Conference Championship goes through. You can pick whoever else is in it. This I think the Eastern Conference title goes through Boston. Um but the East is a real toss-up for me, man. I'm not sure. I like Milwaukee. I, I like. Milwaukee. I. I do. I. I understand why one would like Milwaukee. That's who I've got coming out. I think Crowder will click with them. That's the kind of culture he needed to go to, and um, and and just get buckets, clutch threes, good tough defense, be an enforcer for them. I, I like that pickup. That. Probably is not my favorite pickup, though. I would say my favorite out of these three is Jalen McDaniels to the Sixers. They really need what he brings to the table. Mm -hmm. um, and that's Charlotte. that's also what makes them – that's what I also think makes them scary, it just especially being in the three spot right now. Only being, a, only being like two or three games behind uh, Milwaukee, it's – I think the, the Sixers could sneaky make a run here, and I, I – I don't know. That's why I feel like the East is such a toss-up. Yeah, and you take a look at, um, obviously they've got the two stars in Harden and Embiid, um, but basically their their depth is good now. You know, like they yeah. have a guy in McDaniel's who is good at what he does, good at hitting threes, good at defending, and so I I think they got better in a lot of significant. This is what I was saying. I like these moves fit wise for these teams. They got better in ways that they needed to get better in. Um, let's talk about one last trade. One team got better, the Golden State Warriors. James Wiseman goes out. Gary Payton, the second, comes back. That's an upgrade for them. Payton, a big fit in that Warriors culture. The Blazers signed Payton away from them, hoping he would bring them some of what he brought to Golden State. And he like actively told them he didn't like it. He didn't like it as, like, as much as he liked Golden State. He didn't like it there in Portland. He didn't like the fit. Wasn't a good fit for him in the offense, and now he's back home. You know, this is where he came up. This is where he was. He put the league on notice as to his skills, as to the fact that he is a defensive stopper. He's got some bounce. Uh, he can shoot just a, just a little, right? And mm -hmm. so he's heading back to Golden State. James Wiseman goes not to Portland but to Detroit because 
the Warriors traded Wiseman for Sadiq Bey, but the Atlanta Hawks took five second-round picks and traded those for Sadiq Bey, which um, I don't, which I still don't fully and they have to pay understand. Him. So that yeah, now, he's, now they got to move Collins or Hunter or someone. It's just very weird from the Hawks. Um, so that's why I, I I don't really know what that direction is. I think it, we need an off season from them, and that's why we're not talking about them in this episode. We need to see an off season from the Hawks to see this plan executed. Right now, we're in that phase where you're trying to grow a beard and it hasn't connected yet <laughs> and it just looks really bad and stupid and no one knows what you're doing or what's going on yeah. and they're just like that guy needs to take a shower so you take a look at <laughs> the hawks right now and it really doesn't make a lot of sense um i think this offseason will probably clarify some things but mm-hmm. trading kevin herter for a first having him pop on the kings uh and then doing this just doesn't make a lot of sense to me so you know Cheers to them. We'll see. We'll see how they recover. Dejounte Murray acquisition not working out great, um, but this this talk is about the Blazers who spent. Uh, well, they you know they get Kevin Knox um, from Detroit. This was a very odd deal. The, the highlights are that Peyton wound up in Golden State. James Wiseman, former number two overall pick, heads to Detroit. Now Detroit has a rim runner and rebounder in Jalen Duran, who's been really good this season, and he's a rookie. They saw this as too good of an opportunity to pass up on. They must love James Wiseman so much because the fact that they have Sadiq Bey, who they could have gotten draft compensation for, and took Wiseman means, you know, they basically said to themselves, hey, Wiseman is better than anyone we're going to get in the first round that we, mm-hmm. you know, protected first or whatever we'd get for Bay. Maybe we'd get five seconds. Um, Wiseman's better than any of the five guys we're going to get in the second round or what we can use those picks for. Let's just take him on. Uh, I don't see Duran and Wiseman being good together. So this is really going to be an odd developmental situation for the Pistons, one on, one off. I think they will try them together. I think they will not like the results. When you're so. when you're twenty something games below five hundred, I guess it gives you it gives you room to experiment a little bit. But I like. So what's funny is we're talking more about the teams as we should, like how the teams are affected by these trades. But this one particularly. Singling out a certain player, I like this trade for Wiseman. And he the, needed to get out of there. And the reason, but not only did he need to get out of Golden State, but I think that this is the starting point. I think that his time with the Pistons, however long it ends up being, is going to be a transitionary period. And it's going to be, if they really start to build something in Detroit, which I think, you know, to get something going in the next few years, maybe a long shot. They do have young talent, but it, I, I do think it would be a bit of a long shot. But here's a, here's what you got to remember. Um, Wiseman's 21. He's young. And I think sending him to Detroit gets him more consistent playing time that Absolutely. he needs to that he needs to blossom and and really, you know, show really show what he's made of cuz he probably wasn't ever going to get, you know, on the floor when it really mattered with that Warriors team when they are, you know, every year a contender for a championship. When in, when the time comes and and it's game on the line Wiseman's not on the floor and so even if it means Wiseman's going to Detroit knowing hey I'm just coming here almost treating it like a treating it like a baseball player treats the minor leagues in rehab starts even if it's like hey I'm just coming here to develop whatever the case may be I do like the trajectory of this move for Wiseman because I think it could allow us to see him grow as, as a player yeah I I didn't like him much as a prospect I, I had him you know on the border of the lottery Seeing him go number two overall was certainly shocking. It shocked, it shocked me. Um, but it was unsurprising because the Warriors are doing this Dave Gettleman thing where they're outsmarting themselves and trying to win now and rebuild at the same time, which is what Gettleman said he was doing. Mm-hmm. They just happen to have Steph Curry and Draymond Green and Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole. That's credit to their developmental system, but yeah. it's really easy to mess around with your draft picks when you have guys putting out a good on-court product no matter what. Uh Atlanta, adding a wing they have to pay soon. Don't get it. Don't know what's going on there. Golden State, moving on from Wiseman. Good for them. Gary Payton the second being what you get for him is embarrassing. Yeah, gotta, I, gotta, I don't like that at all. Got to look in the mirror after that one. And if you're Detroit, you already have Duran adding another center. is weird. I thought this trade was weird all around. Um, again, this can work out well for the teams involved. Doesn't look good right now. Only team it looks good for right now is the Warriors, and that's because objectively – Wiseman was doing nothing positive for them. Peyton will be a positive for them and fit back in the rotation. But number two overall pick, Gary Payton Jr. 
yeah, not loving that. So no, yeah, me neither. I think you take a look at um, what's going on here, and and with the deadline, a lot of players changed hands. Um, what was your favorite out of all these deals? I, I know Durant is the easy one, but what would you say your favorite move was to, before we wrap this episode up? It, you know, there was a lot that there was a lot that got the gears turning, but I. If I'm being honest, I think my favorite has to be Josh Hart. I love it. I, I, I And the only reason I say it is just because it was so cost efficient. And I know that's not thinking – I know I'm not mentioning too much about the, the quality of play, but I, I defended his quality of play when we were just talking about it a few minutes ago. His statistics speak for themselves. I think for once the Knicks finally, like – it, it it always seemed like the Knicks front office drives their fans mad because it's just overanalyzing value and and you know I always I hear mad jokes because obviously I'm I'm friends with a lot of Knicks fans around here and I always hear mad jokes about like the handling of their finances and the handling of their assets and I really think that what they got for what they gave up they really they they didn't give away any of the pieces. They don't have to start from scratch. They don't have to work around the loss of any major key player. And on top of that, they bring Josh Hart, who I think is very serviceable, can has endless potential to be very helpful to any sort of offensive rotation. He's he's athletic, he rebounds, he gets assists. He's, you know, he's a good ball player. And especially the the part that's also in interest, I mean, um Impressive is his ability to rebound at at, at six five. That's what they need over 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 guys that are four four or five inches taller than him, and he's and he's and he's known as a rebounder. So I think that in and of itself, not to mention, I don't, I find a two way player like Josh Hart to be a perfect fit for Tibbs. I think Tibbs is going to have a good time with him. Well, that's what they need. Um, my personal favorite, I'm going to go with the triad of Clippers moves: Bones Highland. Eric Gordon, Mason Plumlee to the Los Angeles Clippers. They had a lot of question marks coming into the deadline, and they were really not a sturdy, secure contender, and now they are. And that is a really big change for them. If you're a Clippers fan, you got to be real happy. We're going to have you covered all season long around the NBA, throughout the title chase, the MVP chase, everything. Stay tuned here on WFUV Sports. We've got Knicks and Nets beat reporters going out to games, covering them as well as possible. And, and we've got our podcast here, Pick and Pod, where we break down all the latest around the association. So for my co-host, Jack Warner, helping out behind the boards today as well, I'm Chris Persiain, and thanking you guys for listening to this latest episode of Pick and Pod, suggesting that you give a thumbs up, throw a follow, check out the WFUV social channels, and continue to support us. Thank you.